Amen. It is. Uh, it really is wonderful to be together. It, um, I just want to say personally to you, it's it's such a great joy to journey with everyone here. It um, it uh, it feels it feels like family. I hope that's what it feels like for you. And we want to continue to work hard at creating that as we grow. And uh, and so as Chris alluded to there that night on the 11th of December, sometimes we don't get an awful lot of opportunity just to pray maybe t- together because we really want to pray with our sister church in Lurgan um, on these Wednesday nights. We feel that's crucial, part of how we're building strategically. But on the 11th of December, we just want to open it up for us as a church family to come got question marks, you know, not worryingly so, but question marks over kind of future location and all of that kind of stuff. And so we'd just love to come and really pray, worship, and commit this building and where the Lord's continuing to lead us to the Lord. So please do try and mark that night and come along and let's worship together. I'm going to share this morning, uh, poor Bruno was um, pretty much ready to go, had um, her talk prepared and stuff, and has kind of went down with the flu in the last day or two. So, um, she gave me a good start on her talk, though, because she has it all uh, written. But um, pray for her that the Lord just touches her and everybody else that I know is uh, struggling with colds and flus and fevers and things. Um, but um, I, I'm going to try and just take on a little bit from where we left off last week. And um, yeah, hopefully build a little bit on that. And then we're going to take, take from the table communion this morning um, before we, uh, we close off. Is that all right? I believe I have seen the first signs of revival this morning. Matt is wearing trousers. <laughs> Two weeks, all right, sir. <laughs> I know, I know. You're totally going to get me back, I know, but it's precondition of revival, I think. Uh, things, things are happening, things are changing. <laughs> um, so, where are we? Yes, let me do a brief recap because there was a few things, big themes, core themes, really, that we. Um, brought through last week that I'd love you just to remind you of, because I think these are essential for us as we understand what mission is really all about, okay? And uh, I could sum it up a little bit in this word. This is a Latin phrase the church fathers used back in the day called missio dei, and it means the missionary God, okay? The missionary God. Um, We showed how God has always had an impulse in his heart to go, Right? So there's something in the heart of God, like an impulse that is always to go, uh, right, right from the very beginning. And that, that kind of impulse is, is driven, if you like, or flows out of a place of pure love. The essence of who God is, is love, right? And so the impulse of love, but it's like, it's like a pure, it's a pure, holy, self-giving love which is quite hard for us sometimes to get our heads around, right? Because often the way we love has got an agenda with it. It's possessive or it's manipulative. It's all those things often, right? Because it's coming out of our own woundedness at times and our own needs. But the love that God has is pure and perfect and overflowing and sacrificial and self-giving, right? And so out of himself, he overflows with love and um he created the world out of that place of love because he wanted to share it. And, uh, and then he created humanity as the pinnacle of creation um, for creation to flourish. And he wanted uh, creation to be sustained by his presence. And what we said last week is we believe that the story of God begins and the story of humanity and its destiny was to f- uh, uh, extend the borders of Eden throughout the earth. The steward, the creation that God put in place 
and to fill the earth with the presence of God so his whole creation could be sustained with his presence. And we said that he always has wanted to do that through participation with us as image bearers, the one that he created in his image. And so he spoke to his image bearers and says, be fruitful and multiply, extend the borders of, of Eden, take this throughout the whole earth. And uh, we, we um, after the world rebelled a couple of times, and we have the flood, and we have the Tower of Babel, then we get to this point where God chooses a man called Abram, which I referenced there when we were doing our offering, and he said, through you and through your descendants, I want to try and reach the world. I want you to represent the seed of blessing that I've always wanted to put into the world, and I want you to carry that to the nations. And we, we use these diagrams to say that if you were to look on the left-hand side, and imagine Abraham in the me circle, Israel as in the church circle, and the world um, where the world is. That would have been the Old Testament understanding of how the blessing was to move beyond the world. And the implications of that are we have been blessed so that we can be part of Christ's body on the earth in order that through Christ's body we can fill the earth with the presence of God. The problem is that church often looks in the Western world like the right-hand diagram me becomes the biggest kind of thing. We want to feed me. We want things to suit us. Less people give themselves to the church and less people give themselves to the mission of God to the world. And what we said last week, just want to recap some of these things which are really important to set the foundation of where we're going to continue on in. Israel was chosen, the, the sons, if you like, of Abraham, Israel was chosen to represent God to the nations. But the problem is, that Israel, for the most part, failed in their vocation. They failed in their vocation to point people to Jesus. In fact, when Jesus came, most of them didn't recognize Jesus as Messiah anymore. But Jesus came as the true Israel. Jesus came as the Israel, as a fulfillment of Israel to reveal the heart of God, the same God who from the beginning wanted to fill all things with his presence and wanted to rescue humanity. Because humanity was supposed to fulfill God's dream, but humanity rebelled against God, and so God has to rescue humanity in order to see his dream fulfilled for the world. And so central to the mission of Jesus was the cross. On the cross, Jesus was doing for Israel and for the whole world what they couldn't do for themselves. He was coming to give them a way to be completely free from the root of their rebellion, which was sin and selfishness. And on the cross, Jesus dealt with the curse of sin and allowed us to be free from the very root of our rebellion. But what I said last week, and I think this is really, really important for us, is that that rebellion wasn't just a human heart thing. It was essentially that, and we need to get free from that. But this was a rebellion in the heavenly realms as well. This was a rebellion on earth and in the heavens, right? And so sinful hearts had become slaves to the domain of the enemy, right? And so while the earth is filled with the glory of God, and if we've got eyes to see that, we can see God's glory, the reality is in an, in an, we also have to understand that this is the domain of darkness, that the that the, um, the prince of the power of the earth is the devil influencing the systems of the way the world works, right? So there's like sin systems behind the way the world works, principalities and powers, the Bible calls them. And so Jesus was on a rescue mission. And if, we, if we're going to be mission people, right, if we're going to follow Jesus in all of life, which is the point of this whole series, and one of his core practices was mission, then, then we need to have this worldview, I think, as we go about our lives, that Jesus was here to rescue hearts and to rescue 
the world from the dominion of darkness. First John says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work, right? Jesus was coming to destroy the devil's work and the domain of darkness. And so Jesus shows us that the mission of God looks like taking back everything that the enemy has stolen, overcoming the evil in the world and making it all new again, bringing his life and beauty. Everything, everything, every atom, as we read last week in Colossians, every part of what's been broken through sin is now being made new. Jesus was rescuing us from that domain. You with me, yeah? So Jesus was rescuing us from the domain of darkness. Triumphing over principalities and powers. Those great passages in the, in the New Testament remind us that, that the one who made thrones and dominions and powers, he has, and all of those dominions and powers rebelled against Jesus. In and through the cross, Jesus is providing victory and he's triumphed over them. And that, so there's no other name higher than the name of Jesus yeah he's triumphed above all of them so that he's making everything new so what we don't believe is that necessarily when Jesus come what Jesus coming back means is that we're just going to fly away from this place it means Jesus is actually going to come down and create a new heaven and a new earth right which we're going to live on and until that day he's inviting us to participate with him to see that kingdom come and so alongside rescuing us from the domain of darkness, from something bad, if you like, Jesus was also releasing something new. He was inaugurating something new. And that was called the kingdom of God. And this was the original intention of God, of course, as I've said, to fill the earth with his presence. So what the, when it talks about the kingdom of God in the New Testament, it is the fulfillment of the whole story of God. Right? The fulfillment of the story of God is what Jesus describes as the kingdom of God, which is heaven inbreaking onto earth. And that's why Jesus kept talking about the kingdom of God. That's why he talked about it in word. That's why he talked about it in deed. That's why he, he did miracles, because he was showing what that earth, or sorry, what, what that other world looks like. That's why he talked about it in story. That's why he talked about it in parable. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like leaven in a lump. The kingdom of God. That's why he talked like this, because he wanted people to realize that a different world was inbreaking into this one, and we could see it. And so on the cross, Jesus was defeating the powers of sin and hell in order that the same spirit that he was empowered by could live in us so that we could be part of of the ongoing establishment of his kingdom on the earth. That's what we're caught up in. And so we, 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 we highlighted, which, will be, um, which won't be new to some of you, but to some of you it might be, which is why it's worthwhile just looking at it for a moment. We looked at this kind of idea of the kingdom is both now and not yet. And so if you can see in this diagram at the bottom left, that since the fall there's been sin, and then we come to this first line of the cross, and it reminds us that the work that Jesus done on the cross is finished. The sin mess has been paid for, okay? But now we live in a, in a time post the cross and what Jesus has done, where we live in a time where the sin and the curse still remains and has to be contended with. And so you only need to read the news or look around the world today to see that we're still contending with the, the presence of sin on the world today, even though Jesus has defeated it. In that regard, the kingdom is not fully yet. It's not fully been consummated until Jesus comes back. 
But we live in an age that we can also see that kingdom, like Jesus said, it would break in now. And so that arrow on the far side going down reminds us that the age to come, bringing heaven to earth now and being transformed day by day is coming now, right? And so when we walk with a posture, so I, I think um, when, when I used to play football, if we were getting beat at halftime and we weren't playing very well, um, one of the kind of, let's say, rebukes, um, that you got um, with, 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 with some colorful language was usually to do with something like that. We're not on the front foot. We're on the back foot. They're, they're winning first ball, second ball, all of that kind of stuff, you know? You're, we're not on the front foot. We're on the back foot against the other team. And the reality is because of the cross, we as the people of God, right, are on the front foot. The devil has been defeated. One day Jesus is going to come back and completely consummate his kingdom on the earth. And we will see the beauty of what that kingdom lives, looks like as we live into it forever and forever and forever. Not just flying away, singing on the clouds like Casper and playing harps, right? Living on a new earth, right? Free from the curse and the influence of sin. And so we live in this moment of the now and the not yet. And Advent, which is just starting today, represents that theologically. That's what it represents. The kingdom that is both now, living in the in-between. Living and waiting for the day of Christ's return. And so Kevin DeYoung says this, the church acts as a sort of embassy for the government of the king. Right? It is an outpost of the kingdom of God surrounded by the kingdom of darkness. Just as an embassy is meant to showcase the life of a nation to the surrounding people, so the church is meant to manifest the life of the kingdom of God to the people around it. Okay? We are a colony of heaven. And as we learn to live and love one another and to move from this place into the spheres of influence where we'll be tomorrow, we carry the same spirit of Christ within us in order to see his kingdom come. This is what it is to be joined with Jesus on his mission to see his dream for the world come. And Jesus' invitation was always to become part of that kingdom. So just to kind of go back to these two slides quickly, to repent for the kingdom of God as his hand. He wanted us to be, this is what it means to be saved or to be born again. And that word has become like kind of twisted in lots of different ways today in popular culture, the word born again, unfortunately. But that's exactly what has happened. We cannot see it. We cannot fully see the kingdom until we are born again, where something in us dies, so something you can come, and we're going to have to perceive differently. You're going to have to see things differently. The king is going to take up residence in your heart, and because the king has taken up residence in your heart, so Jesus is your savior, yes, but he's not supposed to simply be your insurance policy not to go to hell, right? Which is often what we were brought up believing, that Jesus is just the one I ask in my heart so I don't have to spend eternity in hell. No, Jesus is to come, yes, as your savior, but as the king of your heart to set up his residence, to teach you what his government influence looks like so that through your life you will diffuse and what will be pervaded from your life is the spirit and the power of the kingdom of God. To see the rule and reign of God, you're going to have to repent. Turn your eyes away from your own independent constructs, the way you want to live, 
and you're going to see in it a new way. And the, the thing that we, that, the other thing that I mentioned last week, and it's really, really important as well, is the central kind of category of how that kingdom comes, right? So we know the kingdom is coming, but how that kingdom comes is through love, through sacrificial, covenantal, self-giving love. The most powerful act in history, as they keep saying, was the most sacrificial act of history. That's why it is foolishness to the world. And that's why the principalities and powers don't know what to do with that kind of a love. Because nothing else in the world works like that. Everything else in the world works the other way. And the principalities and powers and the sin systems of the day that we get caught up in, they want to keep the status quo. But Jesus disrupts the status quo. He disturbs the status quo. He revolutionizes the way the world works. He sets it on a completely different axis through his act at the cross and the way he lived his life. And so with all of that in mind, the invitation for the church, for followers of Jesus is to join Jesus on that mission and to live in that way. That's why the other practices of hospitality and generosity and things like that are so, so important. Justice and mercy are so important because this is how Jesus showed us and revealed to us what the Father really looks like. And so we can say with confidence that the primary reason the church exists is for mission. It's to be caught, it's to become a family caught up in the mission of God for the world. And so as we seek to follow Jesus in all of life, and we invite, as we invite his spirit upon us, it's natural that we should have a mission and impulse. And an impulse is something pretty automatic. It's something unintentional. And so the days where I don't feel that missional are the days that I know I really need Jesus which is a lot to be for, which is a lot of days, because I should have a natural impulse to overflow with the love of God, to speak of the love of God. And if I'm being honest, a lot of days I don't, and that's when I know I need Jesus, because it should be becoming more and more natural, more and more almost automatic, more and more, dare I use the word, impulsive, to be impulsive for Jesus, to be impulsive with the love of God and to allow his spirit to move beyond us. Um, and so to summarize that, there isn't a mission because there is a church. There is a church because there is a mission. Or the question isn't, does God's church have a mission? But rather, does God's mission have a church? And, and this, what I feel is really important for us too, I love this quote, the deepest motive for mission is simply the desire to be with Jesus where he is on the frontier between the reign of God and the usurped dominion of the devil. And so what I want to propose is where we're supposed to be living our lives every day in a, in a phrase is the redemptive edge. That's where we're called to live. And as a church, that's where we want to live. We want to live right on the edge of where the kingdom of God is interacting, counteracting, and coming against the domain of darkness. We live on that redemptive edge. But we don't live in the redemptive edge if we just stay nice and comfortable and cozy. That's not the redemptive edge. That's just a bit of a social thing with hopefully a bit of Jesus in the middle of it. What we really want to do is allow Jesus to shape who we are, who we're becoming, so we can live our lives in the redemptive age of where we find ourselves every single day. 
And God's people should have that inside of them, which means that we are, as the Bible talks about, uh, an apostolic people, right? And so when we use the word apostolic, which we do, what we're meaning by that is a people who are sent, a people who are sent on mission <clears throat> with the missionary God. We are part of and caught up in the heart of the Missio Dei, the God who is missionary, in order to win the world. And so <clears throat> that's why I just want you to be clear that when we use certain phrases and terms up here, it's not there. These are actually, that, uh, it's a Bible term. So it's important that you understand what Bible terms mean. And the word apostolic means to be sent, right? The disciples were disciples, but then they became apostles. Something kind of graduated in them. They'd been learning, 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 and now go, 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 go. You're now an apostle. The word they reckoned was taken from the culture of the day where a Roman army, when it was kind of going towards capturing a new place, the lead ship, if you like, was called the apostle, right? And so the, the, the disciples became apostles because they were sent on mission. And this is what partnership with Jesus is all about. And um, I, I want to um, take the, the last 15 minutes or so this morning here before we break bread to say the reason that this transition happened, the reason that they, they once were disciples, if you like, but now became apostles, because something significant happened. And you all, you all know what, I think. They were empowered. They were empowered by the Spirit of God. Before the apostles really became apostles, they were filled. They were filled with the Spirit of God. Jesus, as you know, he commanded the disciples, didn't he, to wait, to wait for the infilling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And um, because they did, and because the Spirit came and filled them, they moved. Why did they move? They moved because the same spirit that's in God, the missionary God, was now in them. And if he can't not move, then they couldn't not move. Something came upon them. There's something about the empowering presence of the Spirit of God when you completely relinquish control of your life, right? That will cause you to move. Now, you might not necessarily be like the style of Billy Graham or something, the way that you do that. But in your own way and of your own volition, you will find yourself caught up. You can't walk past people the same way. You can't ignore people the same way. You can't look at people the same way. Something happens when the Spirit of God comes upon you. Because God is inside you. And God moves. God is not static. God is not comfortable. God is always moving, overflowing with love. And when that gets inside of us, then we get caught up with the Missio Dei, with the God of mission, with the missionary God in everyday life to establish his kingdom on the earth. And remember that talk way back at the start of the series where we said that in order for us to do any of these six practices, we were going to have to be like Jesus. We were going to need the Spirit. Because Jesus, very, very clearly, the Bible tells us, before he starts his ministry at the age of 30, is empowered and equipped by the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he said. And it's pretty baffling, isn't it, that the Son of God seems to have needed and to have 
very obviously recognized his desire and, dare we say it, his need to be empowered by the Spirit. So how much more we? How much more us to be empowered by the Spirit to take the gospel to the nations? And so we want to walk in step with the Spirit. We want to be a people of the Spirit sent on mission into the world. And the book of Acts, as the story unfolds of the early church, shows us how they're desperate, they're desperately desiring the Holy Spirit. They're not overly enamored by how cool their building can be and they're not overly enamored with, you know, how brilliant programs they can run. They're enamored by the leading, the infilling of the Holy Spirit and their total, I mean, total renunciation of their selves in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see this throughout the book of Acts. And we want to join in that in order to fulfill the Great Commission. Let me just read. If you have a Bible, I don't have this on the screen. You can turn to it if you want to. Uh, Bibles are under your seats or if you want to look at it on your phone or anything. I just want to read one of these stories from Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. So this is just after the Holy Spirit has been poured out. A few days, weeks, or whatever after that. In Acts chapter 2, we read about that. And then Acts chapter 3, it tells us this. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And now a man crippled from birth was carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going to the temple courts. Okay, so people went to the temple courts daily, right? And it tells us he was put there every day. So it seems like Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is implying that he was walked past a lot. Jesus, potentially, even for, for whatever reason, this guy wasn't healed because he's put there every single day, it tells us, so that people going into the temple courts would see him. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked him for the money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Notice that verse 4, Peter looked straight at him. I think some translations say looked intently at him. That means he was captivated by this person's need, and he was captivated by what he had to give him, which wasn't silver and gold. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have give you, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went in with them to the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them. And while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished. And they came running to them in a place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said, The men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate. Though we had decided to let him go, you disowned the Holy One and the Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. 
He killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and now was made strong, it is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given him this complete healing, as you can all now see. What we read here is that because they have been filled with the Spirit, this man who's been set at the gate beautiful at the temple every day for people who are kind of Christians who are walking into the temple every day, this day something happens differently. This day they notice him. This day it says they looked straight at him. All of a sudden, as the kingdom of God came upon them, you see the Bible says the kingdom is not a matter of talk. It's not just na na na, right? It's powerful. Something happens. It goes around looking for dead things in order to bring life because it's carrying life. And so they look at him and they become fixed partly on his need and there's compassion and all going on and there's all the, uh, there's mercy going on, all the other practices, but then they're also aware of what they are carrying. They realize they've got a solution to this crippled man's knees and ankles and whatever else has happened to him. And something happens in these moments. The kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, all the streams, all the streams that the church has divided itself over are actually all come together. You've got social justice here. You've got love for the poor. You've got, you've got the preaching of the gospel, which Peter does as soon as this man gets healed. You've got all of these things that the church has kind of separated into different streams coming together in this one moment for this man to get life, the life of God. This is the gospel of the kingdom. And this is what happens when the Spirit of God fills us and we get caught up in the mission of God. Because it looks like, I'll put it really simply, it looks like works, it looks like uh, words, and it looks like wonders. Okay, It looks like the words of Jesus. It looks like the proclamation of the gospel. Sometimes, I'm talking to myself first and foremost, Jesus in our conversations just doesn't get enough airtime. Right? He just doesn't get enough chat in and through our lives at times. And we need to chat about Jesus because what you tend to find is people might be a bit offended by the church, but they're not that offended by Jesus. And the parts that he is offended need to be offended in them because to some he is becoming a fragrance and to others it confronts what needs to be confronted because it's a truth. Because the truth isn't a doctrine, the truth is a person and the person is Jesus, right? And so when we talk about Jesus, when we talk about Jesus and who he is and what he's done, it just brings something into the atmosphere. And it might get a reaction, but that's okay because sometimes the truth hurts in order for it to bring healing. Obviously, the way that we do that is in the tone and in the way of Jesus, which is loving and sacrificial and compassionate. It's not aggressive in that way. It's not you about us trying to win arguments. It's not about us trying to prove ourselves. It's us offering Jesus and who he is, the beauty of who he is. And so we have words. We speak with words, the ways of Jesus. It's also... Um, it's also works. It's kind acts and deeds like Jesus did. It's showing compassion. These days, the more I look for the signs of Jesus and people, I just, I, I just like, like, I just feel the older I get, the more I value kindness. It's like kind hearts. The sweetness of spirit is kind because God is kind. He's a kind God. There's nothing stingy about him. There's nothing like hard-hearted about him. Right? Just like kind, kind in your tone, kind in your attitude, kind in the way that you handle yourself or posture yourself. There's something about kindness that's disarming because it's about who Jesus 
really is. And wonders. It's the miraculous. It's the all-powerful God. It's the all-loving God, the all-powerful God, whose spirit is within us, bringing life. And as you said before, we don't have all the answers to why we don't see all the things that we want to. But we know that even in our weakness, even in our struggle, it's the power of God that sustains us. Yeah? It's the power of God that helps us through the times, even when we don't see the miracle that we want to see. It's still the power of God. People, as I think you said this last week, people sometimes said to me, but sure, you didn't see the power of God in the way you wanted to. And I said, no, I didn't, but I did see it because the power of God got me through. The power of God was a miracle that I still lived and I still wanted to live and I still thought that I could maybe find happy. That was, that was the power of God. That wasn't me pulling up my, myself up from my bootstraps. If I just pulled myself up from my bootstraps, I wouldn't be doing this job. I've still far too many questions. I still have far too many things going on to like even want to get over, to want to do anything. I guess I just have been existing, getting through, settling for second best. But I realized in the power of a God who makes beauty out of ashes, who turns everything around, who redeems it all, who makes all things beautiful in his time. And I chose to believe that I didn't actually even need to wait to heaven to see that. But he could experience and live into it and engage with it in the now. Right? That is the power of God working in and through us. And the church in the Western world, unfortunately, for the most part, is powerless. And we need a fresh confidence in the gospel and the work of Jesus because it is the power of God on the salvation. If it's just a matter of talk, I am out. Like I love a good chat. I love a good intellectual, intelligent chat around a cup of coffee with the things of the world and how we're doing it. But if, it, if it's not going to mean something, if it's not going to have actual demonstrative difference in our lives, then it's just talk. But what we're talking about here is not just talk. We're talking about power. Power that comes into these mortal bodies. Power that comes into these frames. These things made of the dust and we get to carry the power of Almighty God in our own lives and through our lives for the coming of God's kingdom. And so, like Paul, we want to say this. Listen to this. Paul, probably coming to near the end of his life here in the book of Romans, he said, Therefore I glorify in Christ Jesus, i sorry, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God, by what I have said and done. Look, by the power of signs and wonders and through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way to Elikram, right? So if you were to do the geography of that, I think it's about 15 different countries. From Jerusalem all the way to Elikram takes in like most of modern-day Turkey, most of modern-day Iraq, Iran, a lot of different parts of Asia, obviously most of the Middle East, right? He, he walked something like 20,000 miles in his whole life and Alexander the Great, who had like chariots and all that, only did like 5,000 more, okay? Like from Jerusalem all the way around to Elikram, like 15 probably countries or more, on foot most of the time, and a few ships that weren't that sound when you read, okay? Right? From Jerusalem all the way to Elikram, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Fully proclaimed. That doesn't mean I just got in and did my preaching gig now and again. It doesn't mean I did what a lot of celebrity kind of Christians do today, just rock up and preach a sermon and all that. That means, that means words. 
works. That meant I went and I lived amongst them for three months. I lived amongst them for two months. I worked with my own hands. I showed them how to live. I didn't just share my words with them, but my whole life, he said to the church, right? In words, in works, and in wonders. He fully proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our longing is to be a church that fully proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is not ashamed of the gospel. That will talk about it. That will preach the gospel. If it means preaching it here, preaching it in our workplaces, preaching it up the streets, whatever way, as long as we do it like Jesus, let's proclaim, let's talk up Jesus, right? Let's talk about who he is and what he's done. Let's do it with works. Let's be kind. Let's be a kind, kind, kind-hearted people. Let's show in works of service and compassion that we are people who belong to Jesus. I'm so thankful and grateful for all of you who volunteer on Friday mornings in Connect Cafe regularly and consistently, and even that being a consistent witness of the kindness of Jesus in our own community. Thank you for doing that. It's a witness of God's kindness. And we want to move in the miraculous. We don't want our disappointments of the past to develop within us a theology of lack. I can understand why that would be the case. But we want to lament and do our disappointments well so that we can deal with that in a way that we can still carry the power of God. And if we do that, we'll see the redemption of all things. Well, we'll be part of the redemption of all things. But in individuals, we'll see sins forgiven, people washed from guilt and shame. We'll see bodies healed and wounds healed emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually. This kingdom message was holistic. It was like when Jesus came saying the kingdom of God is at hand, it was unleashing resurrecting life. Body, minds, emotions. Every, in every single way, this is for the flourishing of humanity. This was resurrection life unleashed and released. This is what we're talking about here. And that's the kind of people we want to be so that we can live naturally, supernatural lives in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, um, and so the challenge for us this morning is will we, will we risk, <laughs> will we step beyond ourselves? Will we move into those areas that are occupied by the enemy, not because of the people that are there. They may be influenced by the principalities and powers, but we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, remember, but against principalities and powers. What places is God telling us to establish his kingdom? So where, where are you going to be tomorrow? Or even under your breath? or whether you're speaking in tongues into yourself, or whatever it may be, where is it you're going to be tomorrow where you're just going to say, Jesus, let your kingdom come here today. Let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. You want to move into every space. This, this is our story. And you know what? Sometimes, to many, our story doesn't make sense, you know? But it's really hard not to believe or not to be captivated by the story of the God who created the world, loves the world, wants to rescue the world, and sent his son Jesus to die for the world. 
and to rescue it from evil and from sin and from decay, to turn it and to flip it on its axis through an act of sacrificial love and through that see the redemption of all things. It's hard not to be captivated by that story. There might be some credence in all the other stories, but the reality is they've got far more questions to ask than ours does. They've got far more questions to answer than our story is. God is at work. God is moving. Heard this week, atheism has been on the decline in the UK by 2 or 3% for the last three or four years, right? You know, we're not, we're not going to hear this in the news, right? It's not going to be tweeted. But, like, God is at work. His church is still here over 2,000 years later. He is building his church, and the gates of hell will not. Yeah, yeah. That's how, that's how you end up, yeah? And the thing about this, when I was growing up, right, I used to think that it was, I used to have this picture that there's, there's the church, the gates of hell will not prevail against. I used to think, like, you know, that was like the, the church kind of like in its wee corner, <laughs> you know, and it's, but like, it's, it's God's going to save it from its lights going out. That, like, we were always on the defensive. No, no, no. God is building his church in the gates of hell. As far as I know, gates don't move. Right? So the gates aren't coming after us. Right? We're just one by one. But it doesn't always look like this. And some days don't feel like this. But day by day, we're advancing in the kingdom way, which is sacrificial love. And through the power of God's saints, slowly but surely, push back darkness in order to see the redemption of all things on the earth. And that's what we're part of. And it all comes down to the cross. And so as we celebrate two years and we give thanks to God for all it's been, we're going to take communion. And I want you to remember, which is part of what communion is about, remembering what Jesus has done for you in your life and remembering what Jesus has done for us as a body here. I'd love us to do it in that way together. And then I'd also love us, though, to commit ourselves, commit our hearts to the Lord afresh and recognize that it's through the emblems that we partake, the bread which reminds us of the body, the blood, that, the, the, the cup that reminds us of the blood, that it's through this sacrifice that we commit ourselves to being a people caught up in the mission of God to fully, fully proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever we live our lives, every single day. We're caught up in the mission of God. It's a little bit cheeky to say it, but as somebody once said recently, some of us get tomorrow morning to be missionaries in something that we really love to do and get paid for it. Right? But when we start to think about ourselves like missionaries, sent people sent by God, and if you don't, you know what? That's a good place to start. It's a good, honest place to start. But what it just makes you aware of, and you're no different than anybody else in this way, of our need, our need for the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God that has always got that impulse to go in and on and through us to join him in his mission for the world. And so as we come to take communion, maybe the guys will come and just play and sing, lead us in a song as we do that. I'd love us just to commit ourselves together to being a people on mission and, and to be restored, to be restored in our confidence in the gospel. So that we could say, I am not ashamed I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It may be foolishness to the world, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God to heal us from the inside out. 
to overflow in and through us into the world around us. So just as the guys play, I want to encourage you just to come to the table. Like there's four tables, as there always is. One of the things on the tables I'd love you to do, um, we give these out one time over a year ago, just a simple little card. Because um, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's really easy to get caught up in our own lives and to kind of forget about the fact that there is a world perishing and in need of salvation. And so these little cards are just called My Five Cards. And they're, they're kind of small enough that could fit in your wallet or if you want to in your fridge or something. And uh, it's very simple just to write five people that at the moment you are aware, don't maybe know Jesus or need to know Jesus more. If you haven't got one of those, as you come to the table to remember what Jesus has done for you, I'd love for you to take one of these, take it home, prayerfully write down those five cards. And then what we really encourage you to do is to pray over these names almost daily if you can or throughout um, your week together as a family, but certainly even as you meet together in, in, in life groups, what we'd really encourage you to do, really practical, just take these out and just keep praying over these five names, yeah? Keep praying over these five names. I, somebody told me to do this when I was a teenager, and I prayed for five five friends, and um, three of them are now with the Lord, are now in the relationship with Jesus. And um, I, I just just prayed daily for people that don't know the Lord. So I just encourage you to do that as a really practical way for us to respond to the, um, the message this morning. All right? Let's come to the table. Um, Lord bless you as you come. Come back and let's um, remember the Lord together.